classic Trek uh, TOS episode mm-hmm. um, one that I think we're going to have to work really hard not to delve into the feminist or I don't, I don't want to put it that way of. yeah yeah the sort of problems of early Trek um, yeah no it, yeah we're going to have to avoid that pretty heavily on here I think Honestly, anytime we talk about TOS, I think we should just go ahead and put a full moratorium on talking about women's lib in regards to it. I mean, we're going to have to talk about it. I mean, we will. We can touch on it, but I feel like, like <laughs> that cannot be more than, say, 5% of, of the podcast. Unless it's like an episode that really exhibits like great strides for women, I feel like it should be something that we could be like, yeah, no, it was bad, but... I think that, but it was, that's yeah, kind of the case I, for well, all film and television done before 1975. So weirdly, for this episode, um, I kind of want to defend the feminist elements in this in this episode. Okay. Um, so the episode we're talking about, because we haven't actually gotten around to naming it yet, okay. um, is Mud's Women. Um, this is a weird one for a lot of reasons. First of all, uh, Harcourt Fenton Mudd was apparently a fan favorite. People loved him. Oh, yeah, no, he, he reoccurred a couple of times. Yes, he has a few episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, That's why they brought him back in Discovery, apparently. What? Yeah, he's in Discovery. Oh. I told you about this, remember? Oh, Rain yeah, Wilson, that's we talked right. about this. Rain Wilson is, yeah, that's right, I've yeah. forgotten. Uh, okay, another reason to have feelings about Discovery. Whatever. <laughs> um so, yeah, so, I mean, but actually, weirdly, like, I was sort of um, surprised, I guess, by this episode uh, in that I thought I was going to hate it. I thought mm-hmm. I was going to sort of, you know, get, like, feminist, righteous feminist anger throughout the entire episode. And, like, I didn't <laughs> at all. I mean, I mean, I did. I did. Obviously, there are parts that are, you know, mm-hmm. it's impossible not to, but I think that I was pleasantly surprised by the sort of lengths to which Roddenberry, Kirk, and company go to um, give the women voice and Mm -hmm. to sort of question our concepts of beauty and this sort of thing. Um, Yeah. It wasn't leaps and bounds, but I think it was interesting. Um, It was interesting for me to watch. Gotcha. No, I mean, there's a lot to enjoy in this episode. However, for me, I feel like the storytelling kind of got pushed to the back burner on this one. And it was a lot about commentary. And I feel like that is just, that's just plain bad TV. You know? I mean, whenever you're telling a story to make a point instead of actually just telling a story to entertain people. Like at some point that's got to be a large portion of your focus is to actually just tell a good story. And I feel like in this episode, particularly they got away from it at several points. 
Yeah, well, I'm, we'll have to talk about it because I'm. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm sort of interested to hear what you have to say about. I mean, I feel weird trying to defend this episode because I think mm-hmm. that there are large parts of it that are just frankly indefensible, but there mm-hmm. the parts that are defensible are very much so. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, on the one hand, I felt like the episode was. Um, you know, it had its problems, but okay. I didn't think any more so than. I don't know. I, I I guess I was I guess I was I was pleasantly surprised to see the way that Kirk handled the situation, to see the way that um, Mud was treated, to see the way that the women were treated, um, and and specifically, I was I was pleasantly surprised to see some relatively well written female characters and sort of strong female characters. So. Yeah, it's a shame that we can't ever get any of the female crew of the show <laughs> to have that kind of character development. Right, yeah. Anyhow, uh-huh. Well, um, before we go too far into it, why don't we go ahead and give the audience a little taste of what this episode's about. Yeah, sounds good. Kirk's Enterprise is tracking a ship of unknown origin when it veers dangerously off course and into an asteroid belt. The Enterprise extends her deflector shields and the crew is able to rescue Leo Walsh and his band of bonnie lasses. In the process, however, Enterprise has blown off all of her circuits and wasted her lithium crystals. Kirk directs his crew to a lithium mining planet a few days away and hopes that they can avert disaster. The crew are enamored with Welsh's women, but Kirk is less than impressed with Welsh's piloting skills, and a tribunal is held to determine his culpability in the destruction of his ship and the damage to the Enterprise. Welsh explains that he is not a pilot per se, but that his his women are going to settlement planets in, in order to marry them off. The women are not crew, but, to quote Walsh, cargo. Kirk is disturbed, and his curiosity... <coughs> aroused by these women who have an almost hypnotic hold on the crew's members. I mean crew members. During the tribunal, Kirk, Spock, and Bones discover Walsh is not Walsh, but in fact Harcourt Fenton Mudd, a man with a long history of shysty behavior as well as a criminal record. Kirk decides to confine Mudd to quarters and send him to Federation Court. The women, on the other hand, are free to roam the ship, and they discover that the planet that contains the lithium is home to three wealthy and lonely men. Mud rethinks his scheme, and the women decide that they will work their wiles on their miners. Before they can beam down, however, they must take medicine, medicine that restores their charms, beauty, and apparently their Maybelline. The miners board Enterprise to demand to meet with Mud and the women, uh, or there will be no lithium for the ship. Kirk refuses, but is forced to capitulate as the ship starts to lose power. Once on the planet, Eve, Magda, and Ruth try to seduce the miners, but Eve is conflicted by what she perceives as deception. She flees into a deadly ion storm. Kirk, Mud, and her miner suitor chase after her. Kirk and Mud are forced to abandon their search and return to the Enterprise in hopes that the sensors can pick up their life signs. On the planet, the miner finds Eve and takes her to one of the camps. There, her beautification medicine wears off, and she is returned to a less-than-lovely woman. 
The miner, exhausted from his search, falls asleep. When he awakes, Eve is cooking and tidying and generally trying to make up for her ugliness. The miner is unimpressed and insists that she has deceived him and he risked his life for someone who is homely. Kirk and Mud beam down and Kirk confronts Eve about the beautification tablets or Venus pills. Eve insists that men have no interest in women who can cook or clean or be useful. They only want vain and beautiful women. She takes the Venus pills in Kirk's hand and is once again transformed into a seductive beauty. Then Kirk informs her that the pills were faked and that her beauty was in her confidence, not in the pills. The miners give the Enterprise the lithium and the girls stay on the planet in hopes of making a life with them. That's a really good explanation of what happened in this episode. Um, uh, quite hilarious. <laughs> I have to say, like, you know, usually when I sit down to write these synopses, I'm, I'm pretty well able to explain the story inside of a few, like a paragraph or two. This one actually took a minute. And I, yeah. I think part of the reason why is that the story was a bit convoluted. Yeah, it really was. And that really does play into what I was saying earlier about how they really had a problem with storytelling in this episode because they were really trying to do so much else. Mm-hmm. And it just really just detract. I mean, it may have been because I was tired watching this episode, or but I really think it was the fact that it was very difficult to follow because it wasn't a linear story. Well, it, it, I have to disagree that it wasn't a linear story. Fair enough. I would argue that there was... The impetus for a lot of the action seemed very mm-hmm. sort of flimsy. Yes, you're right. I, I used the wrong verbiage there. It, it, was, it was just very loosely held together. Yeah, well, specifically um, the miners themselves. I mean, mm-hmm. this, this to me speaks to something interesting about TOS, which is that TOS were not quite at a post-scarcity world, right? Or uh, rather, you know, galaxy or whatever. Um and the reason that I say that is that the there is some kind of exchange going on mm-hmm. between the lithium miners and the um, Federation, the Enterprise. yeah, and the Federation, yeah. yeah. And so they, excuse me, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, uh, yeah, um, long day. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So there, there is this. Um, something weird sort of going on there mm-hmm. where we get this interaction between Kirk and I think his name is Childress, the miner. Mm-hmm. Um, like the big boss guy downstairs. Yeah, yeah. And he, and he's wondering about, you know, what's the payment going to be? What's the payment going to be? Mm-hmm. You know, and at some point it sort of turns out, well, it's going to be these women, which is yeah problematic for obvious reasons. But, but, what was weirder to me about that was that at, at this point in, in the game, at this mm-hmm. point in, in the Federation's history, they have not quite hit post-scarcity yet. I'm not sure if that's quite what's laid out here. Uh, what it seemed to me, the way I read it, was that 
the miners weren't a member of the Federation. Mm. And Kirk, because Kirk throws out that line like, oh, I'm authorized to pay you a comparable rate for your for your crystals. Mm-hmm. You know, something like, it was something to that effect. And so, I mean, it to me, that made it seem like, like he was... A mem- I mean, it may have just been that, you know, as a military ship, you know, he had to get approval from, you know, high command in order to do something. But um, it's, it read to me like, yeah, as a member of the Federation, the Federation doesn't really have money, but they do have things that they can trade. And that's what he was doing there, trading with these miners who were not necessarily members of the Federation. Okay, okay, so, okay. I, I could definitely see that, but the miners were clearly human, right? Yeah, but if you look at all the races in this, pretty in, in TOS, a lot of races look human who aren't. Like even the Klingons look vaguely human in this series. Well, right. So okay. Yeah. So, so so you're what you're. This arguing, was pre forehead of the week. What so. you're arguing then is that the miners were. Not- I mean, they could have just been Rigelian, you know, because you know, or Rigelian, because the they were on Rigel twelve. Sure. So I mean, but it, this planet, but but specifically this planet, I mean, it was populated by three men. There, yes. There, there is nobody else. This is very much a mining mm-hmm. planet. These guys have sort of set forth on mm-hmm. this venture, this business venture together, um, and yeah. their and their goal here is to make lots of money to become very mm-hmm. wealthy, right? So this idea of wealth is still, let's say, for larger sections of the galaxy than we see in say TNG. Or you know, or you know, any yeah. other like. It, it definitely, it definitely is more of a focus in T- TOS than it is in TNG. That this whole, the whole uh, drive to be rich and the whole uh, as a plot device, using that as a plot device, is definitely something that is way more prevalent in this series than in other series. Well, and what that, what that sort of. What that ended up equating to to me in this specific episode was that the women themselves were driven not by the same sort of motivations mm-hmm. um, as the members of um, Enterprise, as the members of the crew of Enterprise, but they were driven by, you know, sort of, let's say, maybe more traditional motivations, right? Okay. Um, for them, the be-all, end-all of their existence was to be married and to have children, mm-hmm. um, particularly to wealthy men and by wealthy men, which to me was a fascinating... I mean, the point is is that it obviously was trying to hold up a mirror to the way that we treat women, you know, or the, I, the way we treat women now, but definitely the way we treated women in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And so I thought for that reason specifically, it was very interesting because the point was that Portions of, of, of society have moved on from this mentality, but not all. Yeah, and I think that was a, that, that's really well highlighted specifically with the fact that it is such a small group of women and such a small group of men that they show this with. I mean, it's not – I mean, you, you have this very – like you said, it's a very isolated planet. It's a very small ship that, that carry these women to said isolated planet, you know, it's not something that is that is it doesn't appear to be something that is a large or a, a very profitable venture for people uh, because it's not something that that seems like it would be um, you know run into the day it's not it's, it's not the same thing as say you know these 
people who are mining these crystals. Like that's a very profitable thing because they're trading it to people who where you know, where there's a lot of people like the enterprise has a lot of people on it. Like it's kind of this reverse of what like you kind of have this like reverse transaction in that trade. It's like mm. small group of women for a large number of crystals, you know, and it's it kind of throws it's kind of a societal commentary, which is what I was kind of getting at in terms of how it kind of detracted from the story, in my opinion. Which, again, when, you know, I mean, you sort of pointed to this before. I, I liked that there was a bit of social commentary, sort of regardless mm-hmm. of whether or not I even agree with the premise of the social commentary. I liked that there was a social commentary. But but what I didn't like, and I, and I have to agree with you here, is that the way that they went about it, I mean, what was Harcourt Mudd's motivation here? How, how is he going to get paid in this yeah, I mean, and how much is he getting paid in this? Like, it can't be a lot. It's, it's, like I said, it's three women, you know? I, I mean, mean I, I guess, like, the tr- the human trading, I guess, this has got to be pretty, pretty, uh, but the, but the, lucrative, but it doesn't seem like that because he doesn't, he doesn't carry himself like that. His ship is kind of garbage that he's flying around. He doesn't really have a lot that says that he is a successful person, or he may just not be successful in general. But it doesn't seem like his ventures are very successful or bring in a lot of money. Well, specifically, what's interesting to me about this venture is that, like, really the only thing that he's doing, because he's not specifically engaging in human trafficking, although, Mm -hmm. I mean, one could make the argument that maybe, yes, he is, but I would say that no, because the women are willing participants, and, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean, like... They're going to a settlement where they can choose to yeah. or not to get married. Like He's just running a mail-order bride service. Yeah, like maybe sort of more like that. But more specifically, I would argue that he's acting like a bus service, right, from one area of the galaxy mm-hmm. or from one area of the, you know, whatever to another and from one planet to another. And, I mean, I, I can't imagine that that's a very successful business venture i can't yeah. imagine that this is i mean and and then the sort of secondary side i mean not side plot this was the main plot was that these women are well <laughs> according to the show the women were homely i think oh my god uh, that really bugged me that that point i really did con- i did it was a very big point of contention for me because it it showed these women who were supposed to be ugly and the only difference between them being ugly and being pretty was makeup. Like, that was it. Oh, and, like, bad lighting. And bad lighting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, it was... You know, like... I mean, it was... You know, there was this one scene I noticed where they, like, threw some latex so that it looked like one of the women had maybe some acne scars or something. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. But, it, I mean, it was so subtle and so, like... Yeah. What? I mean, I mean it's just like, basically what it really looked like. That, I didn't necessarily... It seemed like what they were trying to do, and this may have been, I may have just been reading into this too much, but it seemed like maybe they were trying to comment on, you know, like, housewives taking drugs, I don't know, like, oh, that's, because, that's interesting. like, oh, when they didn't have their drug, they, they looked all, they didn't just look like, didn't just look like they were homely, but they behaved in a strung out fashion, that's an like, interesting like they yeah. needed their next bump. I could kind of see that, actually. Yeah, oh, I could definitely see that this is like a sort of commentary on less on, on women who put on makeup and more on women who um, feel the need to um, medicate themselves to, yeah. to get through the day. 
Mm, that's interesting. To that's, give themselves that extra little bit of confidence. Like, it, it definitely was that kind of, like kind of thing. Like a pet pill like instead a, of Yeah, the, like a pet pill. Because, I mean, you get that yeah. whole, you hold, you get that whole line back about the, the Venus drug that they're taking where it, uh, what was it? It was something to the effect of it gives you more of what you have. Oh, right. Where uh-huh. it's like for, for them, it was like they were clearly saying, oh, it gives women more femininity, more confidence. And they, they make a really big point there at the end of this, like, oh, yeah, you know, we didn't give them the actual drug. We just told them they did, and she had it on her all along, you know? And so yeah. she became pretty because she believed herself to be pretty. It was, it was yeah, it was it was very much a like like a pet pill, like you said. Um I, that bothers me. I don't know why that bothers me that that is something that they were trying to comment on. I, I mean, yeah, sure, it needed to be commented on, but they were talking about so many other things in this. Mm-hmm. Like, they tried to pack too many themes into this, I thought. Well, and I have to say, too, the the tension in this episode seemed totally zapped. Yeah. Right? Like, a good episode, to me, there's just so much tension. There's so much going yeah. on. That you feel like things are going to implode at any minute, and then, mm. and this episode sort of struggled with that. I felt like I, I felt yeah. like the, the stakes were not very high, really. I agree with you. They tried to make them a little bit higher with the lithium crystals, but yeah, that just didn't play out to me. It didn't vet out in the sense that like the timing seemed weird, and. It was one of those things where it's like, so what's going to happen? You're going to run out of steam and crash? Or are you going to run out of steam and mm-hmm. get stranded? Or are you going to run out, like, can't yeah. everybody just beam down and wait? Like, Yeah, I mean, like, like call for backup. I mean, you have a communication system. Like, hey, guys, we're out of lithium crystals. Can you send a truck out to, like, you send AAA out to give us a <laughs> jump, you know? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, uh, be, that's... Or, like, a tow truck. There's got to be, like... Yeah, I mean, they. this is the Federation. They're a large group of planets. Basically, park that bad boy on the surface. Right. And, and we're just waiting for the things, well, I mean, you know? Why would the miners not just, like, trade them for lithium crystals? I mean, this seems like a bad business practice to me, especially... It's like, oh, we don't want any of your this other stuff that could really make our lives better, like a replicator or anything like that. We want your women. Well, you like know? even even sort of aside from that fact, like presumably the Federation is a pretty good customer, right? I mean, I would they're, think they're yeah. peaceful. They're easy to get along with. They're you know, I, I assume give a good price on lithium crystals. Yeah, and like these guys are. They're I mean, and they're they're constantly buying them because they're constantly building ships. Right, and these guys are like actively angering one of their best customers. I mean, I don't just I just don't see that as good business. I mean, it's it's like I said, it's bad storytelling. Right, they're just it did not seem like there was a whole lot of motivation for the miners themselves to yeah. engage in the kind of. And then and then I mean you know we sort of talked about mud already, but I feel the need to sort of. Spend a little more time. Yeah, on this I really. Character. There's a lot that I really would like to talk about. Mud, um, mostly. What the heck is up with the weird earring? <laughs> I think he's supposed to look like a pirate. Yeah, he just looked. I don't know. He 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 didn't look like a pirate. He looked <laughs> like a guy who couldn't afford two earrings. <laughs> Either that, or he bought two or earrings gypsy, and just uh, maybe like a gypsy, which is a bit racist. But yeah, okay. well, hit that whole character was a bit racist, like that god awful. Irish slash Welsh accent he was doing. Mm-hmm. Good night, man. What the heck? Well, so okay, so th- let, let's yeah, let's talk about my. So what I what I liked about 
first of all, I, I thought of Mud as a sort of vaguely Q character, like from mm-hmm. Next Gen. So Q, I guess, is like a Mud character from Next Gen. Yeah, he's kind of an anti-Q, though, because Q's right. actually, like, he, yeah. he, he's, Q actually can get stuff done. Well, but he, but, okay, yes, but what I thought about Mud was that what he and Q shared was this sort of suaveness, right? Mm-hmm. For no reason, apparently. I mean, Q is not attractive. Mud is not attractive. Yeah. But there's a sort of smoothness and a sort of slyness to those two characters mm-hmm. that I thought carried really, really well and I thought was sort of fun to watch. I mean, it was... He he tries to weasel himself out of situations and it ends up failing miserably. In fact, the person that he reminded me of watching him was the wizard from Wizard of Oz, the um, oh, I can't oh, think yeah. of his name, but he the, did look like a like a character out of Wizard of Oz. He actually, I think it's this. I think he is was in. I think that actor was in Wizard of Oz. Oh, we should look that up. I don't know, like maybe. Well, but but specifically <laughs> the um, the um, professor. Oh, yeah, the I professor, know who you're right? About. Yeah, and, yeah. And that sort of like huckster, you know, um, just just this just this character that doesn't, you know. He's able to get talk himself out of basically any situation, right? Yeah, and and I sort of liked that about him. I mean, I, I thought that that was entertaining for sure, um, but as you know, it was interesting from a I thought from a um, storytelling perspective in that we're kind of rooting for this guy, but definitely not rooting for this guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what was more interesting to me, and what I didn't expect actually, was that he's treated as a joke. And he's a bad guy. And we sort of know this from the beginning. And even though you enjoy watching his character sort of squirm, mm-hmm. you don't like the character, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no. It's 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 difficult to like his character. He's kind of like... I, I instantly got that feel, like, from the second he, like, appears. He's that guy in high school that's trying too hard. Like... Mm-hmm. He, he, he has an image of himself that he's really trying to project, but he's trying so hard to project it. And I think that's what they were going for with that character, which is what made him such a likable character, especially for that audience in that time period. But for me right now, for who I am, it just, you just, what's the word in German? A face that cries out for a fist. <laughs> You know, like that's just how he. But that's exactly why I liked about the character, frankly. Yeah. Was that was that? Yeah, I mean, like, because I I sort of anticipated that actually I was going to like the character when I shouldn't like the character, mm-hmm. or I don't know. I don't. I get. Yeah. I guess my my anticipation was that he's a popular character. They're going to mm-hmm. paint him as this sort of suave, sophisticated, or like something. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know how they... Yeah. But, but when I watched it, it was like, no, this guy's a bad guy, and nobody mm-hmm. likes him. And in fact, they did a really good job of making him a bad guy yeah, that no. nobody likes. But so it, he the, was the one that he was... The, so he was the one that we love to hate, not the, mm-hmm. the one that we love to love. And I thought that that was mm-hmm. a pretty significant difference, because if you love him, then you are sort of complicit mm-hmm. in his bad actions and I didn't feel complicit in his yeah. bad actions. I, I think one of the things that they do with him in this episode and in other like reoccurring roles that they bring him into um, that bothers me about him is that they humanize him as a per- they, like they humanize that behavior. Like you have this guy who is trying to 
sell women and not just it's not just that he's trying to sell women it's like he's trying this is going to sound horrible because it's going to make me sound sexist but he gets these women who are quote homely (laughs) and then he slaps a fresh coat of paint on them and then tries to sell them to some poor lonely guy on a on a planet it's the same thing as trying to sell a cheap beat up car that you've that you've ran through a car wash to somebody then you know it's going to break down on him in six weeks anyway. Yeah, you know? a lemon. Yeah. It's, you're trying to sell a le- – he's trying to sell lemons. And, I mean, he's n- – I mean, because they're human beings, obviously he's not. So it's hard to make that argument. Well, but, but I, I, I agree with you on the used car salesman side of him. Yeah. And nobody likes a used car salesman. Exactly. But the problem is, is in this episode and, and subsequent other Harry Mudd episodes, they make him kind of this like bumbling fool, which makes you like him in a way because he doesn't quite get away with what he wants to get away with like right, but that's exactly the point is that the reason that you like him is because he fails yeah if he were yeah. successful at what it was he were trying to do then you wouldn't like him yeah i know but you the problem is is you shouldn't like a person like that a person who does that kind of thing who that's their main goal yeah. that's not a likable person that's not a good person well and i see that's the sense that i got i didn't get the sense that like Kirk had any feelings for him. I didn't get the sense that, like, I didn't get the sense that anybody was sitting there going, oh, yeah, Harry Mudd, he's a stand-up guy. Or, like, oh, yeah, Harry Mudd, poor fool. Right? Like, he was... No, no, no. I mean, he's he's Falstaff. Right? He's Falstaff. Exactly. What we like about Falstaff is not Falstaff. We like watching Falstaff fail. Exactly. We like watching him screw up. And Falstaff is a bad character. I mean, he's a bad guy, right? Yeah. And so I think, for me... What I liked about Harry Mudd, what I expected was Henry VIII, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the sort of suave, sophisticated guy who does bad things and mm-hmm. gets away with it, and somehow, for some reason, you like him anyway. But what we got was Falstaff, and Falstaff is a jerk. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes that guy. Nobody likes that guy. We like to laugh at him, mm-hmm. but that's not the same thing as liking him. No, and so exactly. I, and so, I, for me, that was what was successful about this episode was that it, they could have made him the sort of sly, mm-hmm. you know, sly devil who gets away with things. They could have made him, um, I don't know if we're going to get around to this episode. Um, oh, what's his name? The guy for NTNG who... Yes. Oh, crud. I know who you're talking about. Yes. He's the the, swarmy, the smarmy kind of... The guy that... Terry Hatchett, that episode, right? Yes. Yes. The episode with Terry Hatchett, he like... Outrageous Okona. Yes. Okona, yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, him. I know who exactly. I was actually just thinking about him. But he's not him, right? No. Like, he's he's way worse than that. Nobody likes him. And I, I thought that that, to me, was the part that was the most successful about the show, was mm-hmm. that nobody fell for anything that he did. He wasn't going to get away with any of it. You know, Kirk no. was immediately suspicious of the women because he mm-hmm. knew that his crew was not the kind of crew that would you know, mm-hmm. slobber all over a bunch of attractive women. He knew that they could control themselves. Yeah. And he was... Go ahead. Sorry, no, go ahead. Finish your thought. Well, but he was... But he was... I mean, his immediate suspicion to me was telling because what it mm-hmm. told me was that this is... This is not the kind of group... This is not a group of people who mm-hmm. look at women and think, object. This is a group of people who look at women as people. And... Mm-hmm. Kirk was flustered and frustrated by the fact that this was not the case with these three girls. 
three, these three women. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that that was very, very telling about the way that we're supposed to react to these women. Yeah, they're beautiful, but does that matter? Like, is that, is that why we're attracted to them? What, what's happening here, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I thought that that was a very telling moment in, in, in the show. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> yawn. Long day. Yeah. Uh, no, um, exactly. You're right. It is a really, really good telling moment. But you brought up something that that um, I wanted to talk about. And I, if you don't mind changing Go gears for it. For no, bit. yeah, yeah. You know, you talk about how, like, the crew is not going to fall for these women or for their whatever because they're not, you know, boners with legs, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Right. Um, but they kind of are. Like, every one of them has this, like, <laughs> look mm-hmm. for every, each one of the women. Um, everyone that is, except for Harry Mudd. He's the only guy in the entire series or in the entire show that does not when they see when he sees these women he does not look at them like you know he's about to try and ask a girl to to dance at the middle school dance you mm-hmm. know he he i guess that talks to his character a little bit whereas everybody's looking at them as they're they're kind of objectifying these women in a way he actually fully objectifies them they are in fact objects but not for his use. Oh right! Oh, interesting. He he. They are they. These women are things. These women are cargo. They're chattel. They're they're goods and services yeah. that he is going to trade. For everyone else, they're objectifying them. Or I say everyone else. All of the men folk on the ship are looking at him like you know, <laughs> you know. Well, but again, I mean, sort of going back to it, like the whole point is that they shouldn't, and Kirk knows they no, shouldn't. You're right, but what I'm talking about is, is, mud. is mud. Like, yeah. he, like, that. that's really telling of his character, isn't it? Like, that. How? what kind but, of a person yeah, he no, is. Yeah, no, I mean, I, again, I don't know that there's a point in this episode where you're supposed to like, mm-hmm. um, where you're supposed to like Harcourt Fenton Mud. No, you're not. In fact, his name is Mud, right? Literally. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he's, he's not, he's... A bad guy and you're supposed to think of him that way you're not supposed to like him you're supposed to like mm-hmm. hating him and I think that that's why you know when he looks at the women and he sees only cargo I mean literally calls them cargo yeah right it is frustrating for us as an audience as a modern audience because we recognize how horrifying that is but I'm guessing even as an audience in the 1960s, that's frustrating because they recognize the sort of horrific nature of trading in human flesh. Yeah. And so I don't, th- I think that we're supposed to, when he says, these are my cargo, we're all supposed to feel icky. Yeah. And like that's, he's so slimy. He's, he's, mm-hmm. he's job of the hut, right? Like he's mm-hmm. just so gross and so, you know, smarmy. Yeah. That we don't like him. You never do. And I think that that's really telling. And I, I think Kirk's response, I think the entire crew's response to M- Mud's treatment of the women is the most significant part of the show. Kirk mm-hmm. is set on figuring out why these women are having this hypnotic effect on his crew. This mm-hmm. is this is giving this is this is giving him um, unease, and mm-hmm. I think, and I think, 
that that's significant because I think it's I think it's important that he recognizes that there's something wrong here and that he needs to figure it out and that he needs to help these women in whatever way he can. Gotcha. No, I definitely agree. I think we should change the subject a little bit and talk about some things that we actually liked in the show. Like, I mean, we all, we're sitting here bashing on on mud, which as well. Well, but we should. but my but my my stance on that is that if I were not bashing on mud, then this show would have been bad. Yeah, fair enough. Um, in that case, then let's actually talk about some reasons why this show is bad. Because I think it's bad because of mud for one, but there's also other things that I think make this show make this episode particularly bad. Well, I wanted I wanted to talk a little bit about Eve, the character Eve. The character Eve. Okay. So. I mean, maybe you have a completely different take on this, but I actually thought she was a really powerful and interesting character. Um, from this, from the jump, you get that there okay. is she is uneasy with the deception. Now we could sort of call into question whether or not slapping on a little makeup is deception um, or just whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But she's uneasy with the deception. Her unease causes her to do rather, let's say, um, dramatic things, to take rather dramatic steps to prevent the deception from continuing, right? And then her observations about what men want in women are pretty interesting and spot on. Okay. I I think I'd like you to expound on what you mean by her the steps she took to avoid the deception or to keep the deception from continuing well she runs out into the ion storm right so she she's frustrated by the sort of like i don't think that's to keep the deception from going that was because she felt i mean because she says she says before she runs out into the ion storm she throws out that line um well just have a draw straws and or have a raffle and whoever loses gets me, you know, that's what, that's what she says before she runs out into the, into the ion storm. I don't think that has anything to do with the deception, does it? Well, I would argue that her sort of, what, what was frustrating to her was that she was having, and this is, you know, sort of based on what I saw in the episode, was that her misgivings about what she perceived as deception um, were sort of, coming out in her emotionally, making her a less agreeable mm-hmm. party guest, which in turn made the men go for the other two women. And this sort of sent mm-hmm. her, sp- like spurned her into jealousy, which spurned her to go into the Iron Storm. So it was a little less, you know, from point A to point B and we're like mm. from point A to point C, then D and then E and then F. Yeah, so like, I just don't, I just don't, I mean. I, I, I see why you, I see your Yeah, that just doesn't track for me. Well, believe. but I think that, I think that it's maybe like all about, you know, the complexity of women's emotions. And I think that's why, yeah, no. Just be, <laughs> to quote one of my favorite female characters, just because you have the emotional range of a teaspoon <laughs> doesn't yeah. mean you don't feel things yeah no i feel uh, you um yeah i just it just doesn't it just doesn't track i'm sorry i think that's a, that's too complicated for storytelling in the 19 for any time period honestly i, I have to disagree i i thought okay. i followed it pretty well and but but okay so even even after that she has the wonderful speech right before she takes the, the venus pills in air bunnies mm-hmm. um and it, it's about how men don't want women who can cook and clean and be useful they just want vain beautiful women 
And like this mm-hmm. is what's most important to men. It doesn't matter what you can do. It matters what you look like. And yeah. so this was a really telling moment mm-hmm. in the show. And maybe the one that sort of gives me pause as far as my feelings on the on the episode. She's beautiful. We know she's beautiful, right? Like mm-hmm. she the Venus pills be damned. She doesn't really need them. Um and she proves that she doesn't need them by taking something that's not a Venus pill. And 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 the man, the minor, Childress, who's not a very good guy, no. um, gets a beautiful woman in the end anyway, right? And so this, to me, was the most problematic side of it. Like, yeah, he didn't fall in love with a woman because she was, you know, good and tidy and mm-hmm. good at, you know, sort of giving him a home, right? He fell in love with a woman because she was beautiful and for no other reason. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is definitely a big problem in in the storytelling. I mean, it didn't develop any relationship between them. I mean, the development was about five minutes, and it was that – it was almost stereotypical. It's like they were – there's always this, like, stereotype in, like, Western TV shows, specifically in that time period where, like – Ma and Pa would always be at each other's throats, you know, always sniping at each other. And that was kind of the relationship they developed between those two there in that last, like, couple of scenes. And, like, we're just expected to accept that as that's the relationship they're going to continue to have for the rest of their natural lives on this desolate, isolated planet. Mm. Um, The Western thing that you brought up actually was something I wrote down, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Did you ever see that movie? No, I cannot remember. It's been at least a decade since I've seen that movie. My mom used to make me watch these sort of mm-hmm. old Western musical types. And I, I'm i pretty sure, and I, I could be totally wrong, so if you're a fan of Westerns and I'm getting this off, because I know there's a movie that's like this, but maybe this is the wrong title. Anyway, um, the plot is that it's the sort of old West, right? And all these men have gone out and settled this land, Mm-hmm. And now they need wives. And so mm-hmm. there's this sort of person who's required to like provide these settlers yeah, yeah, yeah. with wives. And like this was a common practice to bring women in with the expl- you know express purpose of marrying these settlers, right? Yeah. And so this was the sort of sense I got from this, right? Mm-hmm. Is the seven brides for seven brothers. And so the point of the women is not the men have settled the land. Now the women have to settle the men. Right. And like this is a sort of like weird theme that runs throughout the 1960s and mm-hmm. it particularly in Western films. And if you consider sci fi an offshoot of Westerns, which there's a lot of really interesting genre arguments about why that's true. Uh, OK, we could get into it if you want to, but be prepared for a very long literary lecture. <laughs> so this this to me is one of those moments where it is absolutely sort of playing with this idea of the sort of pioneering spacefarers mm-hmm. and the pi- and the and the and the actual pioneers, right? Yeah. And so I think I think that that was an interesting recall probably. I'm sure that the people who mm-hmm. were watching the film would have known or been familiar with this film oh, yeah. and have and sort of gotten the reference. Well, um, I mean I mean it is it is kind of a that I mean that reference is, is it's not just a thing from that movie. That movie may have introduced it to pop culture but i mean it's it's something by this point anyway but by my childhood growing up it was something that was very popular in a lot of 
a lot of things like Little House on the Prairie did it. I yeah, mean, sure. There's it's it's in it's it's it is in like westerns. It's a thing. It's a thing in westerns just in general. Like you have the 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 original mail process of the mail order bride was, you know, some feller out in you know middle of nowhere who's been panning for gold orders himself a wife once he strikes a vein, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's how that, that's just how it was. Of course, like, that's how we have accepted in pop culture that that's, that was just a thing. Well, so this is an extension of that, right? Exactly. This is the spacefaring extension of that. And so exactly. I, th- and so I thought that that was an interesting recall and like one that I, I it's problematic, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, sort of without question, it's, it's horrible to think that, you know, that, that, you know, maybe in, you know, the 23rd, Century that we're still going to be dealing with these heteronormative, like uh, relationships. Mm-hmm. But that said, it's not that Star Trek came up with this concept. They were mm-hmm. borrowing it from westerns, yeah, um, and sort of applying it. And at the same time that they're borrowing from westerns and applying this sort of mm-hmm. you know plot device, they're also sort of flipping it up on its head and 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 really pointing out how actually pretty terrible it is. Yeah. Which is impressive for a show from the 1960s, right? Yeah, no. I mean, did they do a good job? I would argue no. But yeah. <laughs> but did they at least give it a, a valiant effort yeah. to point this out? I would say I would say yes. Yes. Among the other 20 things that they tried to point out. Yeah, yeah. In this episode. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll grant you that for sure. Yeah. There was one other thing I did want to kind of circle back around to, and it was kind of how in this episode they had a couple of really good points of um, a couple of really good examples of speculative fi- fiction, um, in my opinion. Um, that being, there was, there was a couple of deals uh, that I wrote down. Let me go ahead and pull those up here. Um, you had this really interesting deal of the lie detector. I don't know when the lie detector or the polygraph was introduced, but you had this whole um, shtick of, you know, Harry Mudd sitting there. They're like, what's your name, John Walsh? He's like, John Walsh, or whatever he kept calling himself. He's like, they're like, no, that's not it. And like, he kept telling me he was wrong, you know, that whole deal. At that point, the polygraph would have been invented. By was the, it? Yeah, okay. I, we can look it up, but I'm almost 100% Okay, sure but the other true. the other thing was is they tried to scan the women and determine their identities, and they mm-hmm. couldn't figure it out. That was clearly a throw a throw forward to, or you could say that facial recognition is a throwback to that. Mm, you know, like that was something. But uh, that was a really good point there. There was a couple of other things too that I that I saw. I mean, obviously the communicators. Clearly, that's always been something that we we've talked about. But I mean, it was it was just a really really good like whatever they threw that up that I was like immediately I wrote down oh facial recognition and like because that's a big thing now like I mean you can't you can't even you know use a pin code on your iPhone now you have to use your face yeah no well I mean so yeah so I think you make a really good point that there's a great um there's a great sort of you know opportunity in this episode to see you know technology to see the future at Mm -hmm. that point and it I mean obviously we don't have the kind of lie detector that that they're using in the episode, but that said, identification is considerably easier now, exactly, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, 50, 60 years ago, you could pass yourself off as somebody else and, and theoretically get mm-hmm. away with it. But if I went, you know, if I moved um, to Denver, Colorado and tried to pass myself off as somebody other than who I am, 
I would pretty instantly be recognized by multiple systems, right? Exactly. Like you, it, you have to work a lot harder to come up with a fake identity exactly, these yeah. days. And so I think I think that that I think that that you know sort of maybe uh, prefigures um, mm-hmm. or you know as you said speculates um, this this technology pretty well. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I liked the idea of the ship's tribunal. I thought that that was kind of a fun. That was concept. kind of an interesting thing. Just That's something that they that they play with in this series a lot that I feel like they abandon. In, yeah, definitely. In further series, uh, and and that kind of bugs me. Yeah, because I really like the idea of the sort of you know uh, talking heads of the ship sitting down and mm-hmm. saying, "Okay, we need to look at this feller and see if he's if he you know if, if we need yeah. to hang on to him or you know." Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that. The problem is on something like that, it would be really easy, like in in real life, obviously, you know, when we're on our starships going around the galaxy, um, to be um, judge, jury, and executioner, you but know. But see, the sense that I got was, do we hold on to him, or do we set him off at the nearest spaceport? And like, yeah. and that to me seemed like the reasonable course of action, right? Like, they're mm-hmm. not going to deal with him legally speaking. They're just going to determine if the Federation needs to deal with him legally speaking. Yeah. And that to me was like a really reasonable thing to do, right? It's not like yeah. they didn't throw him in the brig. They let him yeah. stay in his quarters. You know, it was... You're going to have to answer for what you've done. We're mm. not going to punish you because yeah. you haven't been convicted of a crime yet, but you know, presumably yeah. you will be. I agree. However, it does detract from the fact that they're supposed to be explorers and scientists, and it turns them into space police. I see why that's a problem, but I also recognize that, like, First of all, we've had this discussion multiple times. The Federation mm-hmm. is not just explorers and scientists, right? Like, in mm-hmm. this situation, they were faced with an, a choice. Either allow this ship to blow up mm-hmm. and kill all hands on board, or mm-hmm. become space firefighters and <laughs> rescue the kitten trapped in a tree, and yeah. then try to determine... The if moron that, trapped in the asteroid belt. Right, and then try and determine if that kitten needs to go to a pound or back to Grandma's house, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, this is the question that they asked, and this is the question that they answered, and I felt like yeah. they did a really good job um, sort of dealing with the inevitable, um, let's say, uh, you know, uh, situations that one might run into in yeah. the vastness of space. Mm-hmm. I mean... Kind of out of things. There was a couple of things I observed that I thought were really interesting mm. in this episode. Kind of like to change years. Um, and that, just so you know, the way I do my notes is I have like two columns, pros and cons. So like I'll write something that I like in the pros, something I don't like in the cons. And de- depending on which column is more full or has more stuff in it, um, that's kind of the point I take on, on this episode, uh, or on these episodes. This one, obviously, my cons column was super full. <laughs> but um, this this one item I actually wrote across the line, so it's on, it's on both, um, and it was Ohura in yellow. Um, this is this is kind of an early episode. Like, her uniform was yellow in this one. Mm-hmm. She, re- she wears red pretty much throughout the series, except for, like, some of these earlier episodes, and it was one of those deals. I I try to figure out why, because in lore there is you know red is for security and engineering, yellow is command, uh, blue is science and medical. I'm trying to figure out here what is Ohura in this episode. Is she a command officer? 
Is she a... Well, what's her rank? Is she a lieutenant She's commander? a lieutenant. Yeah, she's a lieutenant. I don't know if she's a commander, but she is a lieutenant. I don't think this is... I think at this point, they hadn't really um, established established lieutenant commander as a thing. Because I could imagine her being like the command officer for communications. Yeah, no. And so then she switches to red... Because... To, to signify her engineering status. But she doesn't really do anything engineering-wise. She really well, just... communications is engineering. I mean, yeah. if, you, if you're like if you're like Army Corps of Engineers, you would do communications. Yeah, but I mean, if, if you're also in like... Cool. If you're also on a ship, there's a difference between answering a phone and taking the phone apart to fix it. Well, but y- yes, but from like specifically from like a job standpoint, they would be kind of the same job. So like you don't so like okay so let me put it to you this way like let's say let's let's say you work in like an office let's say I work in IT let's say you work in IT um, and you've got cameras and you've got computers and you've got printers mm-hmm. now they're all three different things but they all kind of fall into the same category those three things would work in IT right and then you have another department that does whatever mm-hmm. other departments do so like HR or whatever right so like so, so theoretically, if she mm-hmm. were, let's say, the commander of communications, that's her job. Yeah. She maybe handles all, and maybe that maybe that yeah. role entails some engineering, but also some sort of like diplomatic yeah. things. Um, obviously, when you're engineering a call, when you're having to like sort of put out information over mm-hmm. subspace, I'm guessing that's not like making a telephone call. So mm-hmm. presumably she's kind of an engineer. Presumably she's also kind of command because she's on the bridge. So I don't know. Just yeah. throwing it out there. I, I get where you're going with it. To me, it just seemed like an uh, one of those inconsistencies that we have to deal with because it's I'm an early sure. episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a few. Uh, that's kind of what I was playing out. Yeah, but, yeah. There's you know, a few. Whatever. But it's cool. Thanks I like her, her in thanks yellow. Thanks for, yeah. Her know. hair looks good in yellow. I don't know. I thought I like her better in red, but that's just me. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's, it's a trivial thing. But yeah, I just something something to point out there. Um, any interesting little things that you noticed going through, kind of like that? Um, I'd have to look back at my notes. I, you know, I think um, for me, what was interesting about the episode, first of all, <laughs> this is man. Like, I grew up. Uh, my my mom was insistent that I watch like cheesy fifties and sixties movies. Mm-hmm. Um, not science fiction, uh, notably, but but sort of other, like I said, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and mm-hmm. this kind of thing. The Muds women, whose names are Magda, Ruth, and Eve, um, they so embodied like sixties cheesy sexuality. Oh, I was man. so just thrilled by it. I I absolutely <laughs> like I I adore that kind of thing. I I just I it's 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 so yes. weird to think of like what it was that like drew people in and like how that would have been considered sexual at the time. Yeah, Crazy. and that like but like the portrayal was so you're right. It was it was just like spot on for cheese the 60s. Cuz I mean cheese ball. I, I even I wrote down it. I even wrote down the note whenever they entered. It was the um the music that they entered oh, yeah. to <laughs> that boom baba boom yeah, you know it right, was just right, right. like i was like oh my gosh this is all this is missing is a snare drum you know right but it's so <laughs> i just love that cheese ball cornball you know what yeah. i don't know why i yeah. just really love it and i i think it's fascinating it's like such mm-hmm. a fascinating look at you know what people found attractive and what people sort of yeah. 
enjoyed and I don't know I just I'm fascinated mm-hmm. by that sort of thing so I really yeah. loved it and I I was really thrilled to see it I was there you know I don't know it, it was yeah. I was I got a, a genuine um thrill out of that yeah scene. No, um, I know I agree it and was I know fun. that it's problematic from like a historical standpoint yeah. but just from a purely like what a lovely time capsule um, mm-hmm. to sort of look at. I, I was, I was, I enjoyed that thoroughly. No, I definitely agree with you. It was, it was very enjoyable. There was one thing I noticed like towards the end that I really liked and I was like, I really want those. It was the round playing cards that she was oh, playing with yeah. at the desk. I did, I, wrote, I did write down round those playing I like, cards. I want some of those. Where do I get those? I wrote down, what did I write down? I wrote, are those practical? <laughs> yeah. How do you shuffle those? Yeah. I don't know, but I want some, that was you my, know? That was my, my first thought was, would it be easy to hide a poker hand? And my second thought was, <laughs> how do you shuffle them? Right, yeah. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to kind of point out, there was a point there where they're talking about how much more, how much power reserves do we have left or whatever, you know? And it's like, oh, we've got five outers, Captain. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Scotty, we all know what you're saying here. Let's multiply that by four, like you, like you <laughs> normally do. We've got 20 hours. You're, you're, you've got a full calendar day here. You know, don't, don't, don't BS the don't captain. Don't stress. <laughs> In fact, take some time off and go. Take Honestly, it I think that's the deal. Like that's Scotty's thing. Is he always passes the buck back to the captain on the stress? He's like, I don't want to stress about this, so I'm going to tell the captain we have half as much time or a quarter as much time as we actually have. <laughs> You know? Yeah. No, I, yeah. Anyway. It's like, look, I can make this happen. I can, it, five hours, if you can get it to me in five hours, I don't have to lose any sleep. If, if you <laughs> if you exceed, if you exceed 10, I'm going to start sweating a little bit. So let's get this, let's wrap this stuff up. Yeah, he just didn't <laughs> want to skip his lunch break is exactly. what was really happening. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Union break. I know. All right. Yeah. It is time for Trek News. Trek News. <laughs> um, so my little tiny piece of Trek News for today. Not tiny, not at all. It's actually wonderful Trek News. Um, uh, our lovely uh, Lieutenant Uhura just celebrated her 85th birthday. So happy birthday to Nichelle Nichols. And sadly, she wasn't wearing yellow or red. <laughs> <laughs> no, she really really looks great i mean she just mm-hmm. looks uh, there's a wonderful picture of her uh you know uh doing the vulcan salute and smiling and um, mm. i really hope that she had a wonderful celebration befitting of star trek royalty so mm-hmm. really exactly great. yeah i know she's a great person um my little bit of trek news uh not to step on the glorious nichelle nichols but um last time around we talked about how Tarantino has thrown oh, out yeah. there that he okay. wants to do a Star Trek movie mm-hmm. and there's been a lot of steam picked up from it. Abrams has signed on as a producer. Uh, they were looking for a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. The screenwriter is uh, the guy from The Revenant. So <laughs> <Okay>. uh, 
I, I, I looked him up um, just to see what else the guy has done. Uh, honestly, I I don't really know much about him. What's his name? Um, Smith. Uh, something Smith. Let me let me pull it up right quick. Actually, I have it right here. Uh, Mark L. Smith. So he wrote. Uh, let's see what else here he's got on his credits. Um, he's got nineteen things to its to his credits right now. Um, a lot of them haven't even come out yet. But something called Martyrs that came out um, just after The Revenant. Mm. Uh, something called The Hole, uh, Vacancy, and Vacancy Two. I don't know anything about any of these oh, things. Man, none of this is sounding good to me. Uh, you know, um, I'm looking at it here. He's got a bunch of other screenplays that are on his list, but they all have question marks next to them on IMDb. So, no, but he did get an Oscar for The Revenant, which is a good movie, but it was really mostly uh, uh, DiCaprio grunting and crawling in that movie and fighting a bear. So I mean, my thing is, like... I said this before. I like jelly on a sandwich. I like mayonnaise on a sandwich. I don't necessarily like mayonnaise and jelly on the same sandwich. And this is what this feels like to me. Fair enough. Tarantino is jelly or mayonnaise or I don't know, but he's not Star Trek. And like, yeah. I just, I, I, oh God. I am trying. The only thing I'm going to say. Reboot, guys. Okay. The only thing I'm going to say here. And, do and Tarantino like doesn't do gritty reboots. He just does gritty. Um, right, which is whatever. Um, he does He does Tarantino. Here's the thing. Nobody really would have thought that Seth MacFarlane could have done a good sci-fi show. Uh, yep. I, I mean, I, I, say, I take that back. Somebody may have. I it never wouldn't would, me. Whenever, yeah. I looked at, whenever I looked at Seth MacFarlane, I, yeah. thought, I would have thought, okay, he's a really funny guy, but I never would have given him the time of day to make a sci-fi television show. Right, right. And honestly, I love it. It's great. You the Orville what? has been fantastic. That's true. I, no, I'll have to grant you that. And and maybe yeah. and maybe I'm not... I mean, obviously Tarantino is a good director. That goes mm-hmm. almost without say. But it's... it's What I hope is that he's the kind of director that's willing to put his ego aside, which is considerable, I, I've heard. Um in order to make something that is truly Star Trek. Um, so yeah. that, that to me is going I, yeah, to be... I, just, I don't want, you know, yeah. a lot of blood and gore in my Star Trek. I, I can't And that's imagine. what I would be afraid yeah. of, yeah. mostly, because that's that's, Tarantino is known for, like, people's heads getting blown off. Yeah, imagine I mean, Kill Bill longing Star Trek. Like that, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, the, I'm thinking the Hateful Eight scene yeah. where... Freaking spoiler alert. Never mind. You haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. Never mind. I won't spoil alert that. But yeah, where somebody pops up out of the basement and they get their head shot off, you know? Are there one scene in Kill Bill where those, like, is it the one, is it a band called the Crazy Eights? I think that's what they're called. Anyway, and like Mm. the the girls in school uniforms attack people with, look, it's awesome. Okay, but the point is, is that I don't want to see it in Star Trek. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're Um, right. There's a lot of cool stuff in, in... Tarantino movies that just don't fit in Star Trek, they and don't. if he and if he's going to do a Star Trek movie, it does need to be Star Trek. Like I felt that way about the new Star Trek series as well, and that's why I haven't finished watching it yet because I don't feel it doesn't feel Star Trek to me. 
I've heard that it gets better and more Trekkian and that we should. I hope so. Yeah, I'm. I'm. What I'm gonna do, and I'm. I feel very committed to this, is I'm going to wait until it comes out. Yeah. In in its entirety, or at least the first season or so, mm-hmm. and then I will sit down and I will watch it all at once. Yes. Because until I can get a reasonable explanation for those Klingon foreheads, I am out. Yeah. Out. And I feel the same. What we should we should also reserve the same judgment for the Tarantino movie. I will. Yep. Um, I will. I watch if it. If it even gets made, because uh, right now it hasn't even gotten a green light yet. Yeah, that's true. So I mean, they're just getting stuff together to try and make it. Um, yeah. They still yeah. got to go through Paramount, which I mean, Paramount is really invested in this new Abrams line of Star Trek. Mm. So I honestly don't know. If Tarantino, I mean, unless Tarantino is really trying to do something completely different than he's ever done before, we we probably won't see this movie. Right. But if it, but on the off chance it does get made, I'm gonna reserve judgment and I'll see it. Oh I, yeah, I'll I will. I will it. go see it and yeah, shut up um, money. yeah. <laughs> and if it's bad, uh, you will hear me complain about it. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you have the right to say whatever you want, and I have the right to complain about it. <laughs> Um, exactly. Okay, so we're going to move on to recommendations. All right, so I have two recommendations. Okay, you go first. I'm going to let you guess what my first one is. Is it something to do with food? No, it's not something to do with food, although I like food. We can talk about food if you want, but it feels like a different show. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, we just went and saw it. Seriously? Uh, Seriously? We have a child. I don't remember yesterday. <laughs> oh, you may. <laughs> da, 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 da. Oh! oh. Um, yeah, the new Star Trek movie. I mean, oh, Star Wars. Totally. Yeah, Star Wars The Last Jedi. Um, okay, mm. so I had an interesting conversation with a friend of mine who I thought was a Star Wars fan um, who said he hated it. Apparently, that's a relatively popular opinion among Warsians. Nobody loves to hate Star Wars more than Star Wars fans. Um, mm. I guess the same is true of Star Trek. Um, I don't know, man. Star, Star Trek fans are pretty hardcore. Like, uh, a lot of the Star Trek fans I've talked to have been like, oh, yeah, Discovery's awesome. Oh, really? Well, yeah, maybe. so. So, okay, so I loved the new Star Wars. I thought it was brilliant. Um, I thought that there were some flaws, but I thought that they were well explained and interesting and sort of made for a better mm-hmm. story. But I was thrilled with it. I won't get yeah, into no, too much. I, I thought it was I thought it was pretty good myself. Um, there were some parts that I did have problems with. Um, but that does be the same as to said for every Star Wars movie yeah, I've ever seen. Good character development. Yeah. Fun. Except for Rogue fun. One. Yeah, except for Rogue One. Wow, Rogue, Rogue One. One, I think, was the best one of them all, in my opinion. Empire Strikes Back beats it, but barely, like, oh, by a hair. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Like, I'm by sorry. a hair. Well, th- this is a totally different podcast, yeah, but, totally. um, but, I, but I, when these yeah. mics get turned off, we're going to have this conversation. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I did love Rogue One, though, I, I have to say. Yeah. But, yeah, but I thought I thought Last Jedi, I mean, it was good. You yeah, know, no, it was last, solid Star Wars. Last I was, Jedi, I give, it a, I give it at least a B+. Plus. Yeah, I would I would definitely definitely set it in B plus. Yeah, um, okay, just so barely eighty six territory eighty six percent. Yeah, right. Well, eighty seven for me, but solidly yeah. B plus territory. Yeah. Um, I so I will. Uh, my second recommendation is a bit uh, off the beaten path. Um, it's a documentary series called uh, Myths and Monsters. It's I think I don't know if it was produced by the BBC or who exactly produced it, but the guy has a really thick British accent, and most of the mm-hmm. guest speakers are from universities around England, so presumably yeah. it's a British series. Um, it's really cool, and the reason I really like it um, 
my major in college was in literature, and this is a truly literary documentary series. It explores concepts of literature, like the hero's journey and um, love stories mm-hmm. and all these sorts of things. So if you're interested in literature at all, and I think if you like Star Trek, you probably mm-hmm. are, um, then this is a really good one for just sort of opening up, you know, the... Um, terminology and I think mm-hmm. maybe the storylines um, that we're so familiar with and giving us the sort of language yeah. to talk about them. It's really heavy on mythology. Yeah. So it's, Hence it's, the name Myths and Monsters. Right. So the whole yeah. thing is sort of predicated, it's actually predicated on some of Joseph Campbell's theories, which if you're interested in literature at all, he's a, a guy from the like 1960s that sort of came up with... <laughs> 19, okay. <laughs> oh, sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, so a guy from the 1950s and 60s that came up with the concept of the hero's journey um, and the sort mm. of idea that we can we can plot out on a, on a map exactly what's going to happen next in any given um, story because we know that this is sort of how stories go. And anyway, so the myths and monsters kind of explores... Joseph Campbell's theories, um, as well as some other interesting literary theories, um, and sort of takes a look at how um, these myths uh, explain us, ourselves, and our histories, and sort of give us a, a view of what we, we would like to think of ourselves. Um, but I liked it because there are very few truly literary documentaries out there. You know, lots of history, lots of sort of, here's this author, here's that author. But from the perspective of somebody who likes to study literature, this is a very good um you know, uh, sort of launching point, or if you're interested mm-hmm. in this sort of thing, maybe a, uh, um, something with which you're already familiar, but it's nice to hear from professors from England talk about it. So. <laughs> gotcha. I only have one recommendation, um, and it's kind of a throwback to this episode here, but uh, I did Google to see where I could find round playing cards, and you can get them on Amazon for like four bucks. So uh, if you're interested in those round playing cards, man, uh, four bucks, Amazon, buy them now. (laughs) (laughs) But other than that, I really don't have anything. It's been kind of a, kind of a slow news week for me in terms of looking up to see what's, what's been, what's been going on. Um, But yeah. Yeah. Well, other than that, I got nothing. Same here. I'm I, I'm I'm ready for bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Already. Uh, well, uh, I guess we'll talk to you guys next time. Trek and A. Trek and A.